0: Hey guys, we're so glad you're tuning in. We hope this podcast brings some hope, life, and good news to whatever is happening in your life right now. Remember that you can be a part of the conversation by emailing youth at saintmarks.ie and telling us what topics you'd like discussed. Until then, we hope you enjoy.
1: Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Good News Guide. We hope you're keeping well and Today, we're going to be continuing on with our science and faith topic, and this is part two. So if you're joining us for the very first time, you might be a little bit lost. So if you are, we want to encourage you to check out part one, which is literally two episodes below this, whether you're listening on Spotify or whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts. But before we start, we want to give a special shout out to our listeners who are listening in from France, our listeners who are listening in from Northern Ireland, our listeners who are listening in from Cork, Newbridge and anywhere else you're listening in from, please get in touch with us by emailing youth at saintmarks.ie or message us on Instagram, Youth. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off from the last episode from our science and faith. So I'm going to pass it over to Danny, Peter, Jack, and myself. We hope this blesses you and we hope it brings some encouragement to your week. This is the Good News Guide, episode two, part two. God bless. Obviously, this is a topic that's very important to a lot of people. and you know, people might listen to this podcast and be like, oh, I'm forming an argument here. I can really go on the attack here, or I can go on the defense here. Uh, What would you say to a person who's probably having those thoughts right now? Oh, here's my attack for those people who have been harassing me in school. And uh, how does apologetics, and could you define apologetics, fit into all of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the first thing to say is... um there's still New Testament and Old Testament study going on. So there's still biblical scholars going on. There's still evolutionary scientists doing their work day to day. So I suppose why I'm saying that up front is these are still things being worked out. And I mean, including the Bible as well, you know, in terms of interpretation, because this is obviously a work of ancient literature, which we're trying to interpret. And that isn't sidestepting to the question, by the way. That's just to put into context that one, we don't fully understand and grasp the Bible to its you know, true origins and meanings. And if we ever did, yeah. maybe I don't know if we could ever could. That's another question. That's a philosophical question. And number two, evolutionary science and science in general is still going on. So yeah. I would say to anyone formulating uh, a really powerful argument on the spot, um, it's probably unlikely that you have something that has never been thought of before. It's possible that you have thought of an argument that no one has thought of before you, but but you probably haven't. So what I'd be saying is, as a Christian, like the stuff we've talked about already, right? Nothing. I would say that has been discovered in science has totally uh, discredited Christianity. I wouldn't say it is, has even come close to that, including the theory of evolution or the the origin of the universe. Because if mm. it was that clear cut, I would say, you know, we'd all be one side of the fence or another. So that's just just to take encouragement for that. Um, um, so if you're sitting at home, I think there's lots to look at. There's lots of resources. There's lots of theories out there. Um, In terms of evolution specifically, um and actually do you know what before i even launch into that going back to your question about apologetics i suppose what we're doing here is apologetic so as christians we are giving a reasoned defense of our faith so that goes from that comes from the greek word apologia so it's in uh peter three fifteen, First peter three fifteen in the bible um and it asks for anyone that asks uh have an answer for the hope that's within you but it also says mm. just before that interestingly which sometimes we forget uh in your hearts, revere Christ Jesus as Lord. So there's, that kind of points to it as well, you know, that there's a, when you're doing these types of debates, actually, that's a, it really points to it. Actually, the Bible really kind of speaks to how we should do it. Um, revere Christ as Lord. You need to believe uh, and know who Jesus is before you go launching into, I think, any sort of barrage of arguments you might have for a, yeah. from a pro-God position. So apologetics really is giving a reasoned, uh, defense of your faith. And that was the case for me too. You know, I actually became at a spiritual experience first, you know, that sort of way. So I kind of did revere Christ as my Lord first, you know, that sort of way I had that experience. I was like, wow, God's real. And then after that, I think with my scientific education and stuff like that, then I began to add the kind of, you know, little bits to the, to the armor, you know, in, in my defense. So, um, uh, yeah, that's what I would say as kind of to frame the whole thing. Um, then I suppose speaking specifically about the evolution question, um, I think Peter has really got at it there in terms of the, the information. That's a really big kind of open end in terms of how does this uh, information just pop in. It's almost like the universe all uh, question all over again. You know, how did this just happen by chance? That kind of thing, you know. Um, mm. And the thing to say is, I think, going back to my point about how, scientists are still doing evolutionary science and Christians are still doing old Testament studies and et cetera, et cetera. There is, um, there's, it's, There are more theological questions really as to whether Christianity and evolution co com, co kind of cohabit. Um, but I think what this, the important point is whether the theory of evolution is completely right or it's not right at all. I think the mechanism by which we came about as humans doesn't take away the fact that there needs to be an agency or a person uh or a, sorry a an all a create a powerful God who created us, if you know what I'm saying. So mechanism isn't as important as agency. That's what you might hear some Christian apologists saying. So agency is the big thing. Like what explains the reason for its existence in the first place? That that we would mm-hmm. put God in that box. That's actually more important than the mechanism. You know, that sort of way. So I think I mean, I like like we said about the universe, I, I don't think the first few books in Genesis contradict um, the Big Bang Theory. Uh, there's actually verses in the Bible like Isaiah. It says, the Lord stretches out the heavens. You know, there is inferences like that. Um, so, so I suppose, look, take courage for the fact that um, we just from the discussions we've already had here, you know, that sort of way, that it's a very rational position to have as a Christian. I know I'm mm. kind of rambling a little bit, but the three kind of key arguments for me anyway, um, going, going into any conversation, if, uh, if I'm going into a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God, the three reasons I usually give them is one, the creation, uh, of the universe, the cosmological argument. Number two, and nearly most importantly is the resurrection and ministry of Jesus Christ. You know, that sort of way that is nearly the most important, um, most important apologetic, um, really, because we have this amazing figure who appeared on earth 2000 years ago, you know, that sort of way. And he's given us these amazing principles to live by. So th- does that kind of answer your question, Josh, I suppose. Yes, it's just, yeah, no,
1: it's great. Yeah, yeah. Cause I think it's really important that we don't approach this in an aggressive manner because we yeah. might lose the opportunity to actually witness as a Christian on behalf of Jesus. Sometimes mm. our emotions can get in between us actually creating a connection with a person, which is obviously the most important thing. But also, at the same not ignoring the fact that we can't be oblivious to the questions people have in the world. So I think that's a great answer, Jack.
2: Mm. Yeah, can I just jump in on that, Josh, actually? So. Yeah, of course. I thought about this question a long long time ago. And uh, one, one thing that I did in order to answer the question is I did a word study on Uh, truth the word truth and and where it appears in the bible Mm. and uh what what was really interesting is in i think it was something like some i can't remember the exact percentage but it was something like half of the occasions of the word truth in the the bible it was also coupled to either the word grace or mercy so it, it didn't appear on its own that often it was those truth and grace or truth and mercy and And that word study uh, led me to the conclusion that if you divorce truth from grace, what you get is self-righteousness. Yeah. So, and and that is really important to remember when you, when you, when you, now obviously I, I, I tend to express my opinions on matters of apologetics quite strongly, but uh, I, I don't, I don't do it to, um, exercise any kind of self-righteousness I'm just that's just a scientist in me who's trying to express things as clearly as I can and so I think it is really really important to remember that you know when you're when you're trying to express these ideas and these truths that there is a heart and a soul that you're expressing it to who is also made in the image of God and and that person that you're speaking to that's also somebody that Jesus died for not just you, yeah and right. uh, you got you, you can't you can't ever fall into the trap of divorce and truth from grace that's a yeah. you're, you're on a slippery slope there yeah
0: and i yeah. i I, I, th- I think it is actually probably one of the most important things to think about if you're if you're interested in this kind of area, uh, like apologetics you know it's i think I think I've learned as well being a scientist and a christian i I've, I've begun to develop this uh, mindset that I might, might have had in the past. And maybe some Christians have this idea that scientists are out to actively disprove God or, you know, or scientists are, you know what I mean? Doing it purely to disprove God, you know, that sort of way. But I, I, I mm. actually see, I've flipped that view. You know, I, I've totally flipped that view because I think a lot of people, everyone nearly, in fact, we're all human. We're trying to figure out the big questions of life, you know? So a scientist goes into his lab or a philosopher asks big questions just trying to get answers, you know, that sort of way. That's the big thing, because I am a scientist, you know, and I'm trying to get answers, you know, that sort of way. So I think it's something for the church to bear in mind as well. Scientists aren't necessarily out to attack God. Now, don't get me wrong. There's atheists and militant atheists who are scientists who use science to attack God. But what I'm saying is I don't think that's the genuine heart uh, behind a lot of it. And in the same way, if you have a friend who's an atheist or a skeptic, I think you need to give them the grace, as Peter said, to have an opinion. And, you know, a big part of it is actually having that friendship or, or kind of set, let, um, setting out the ground rules to say, are we both coming from a good place here? Are we both actually trying to get yeah. to the truth here? You know, that's the big question, yeah. really. And um, I think, yeah, it's just something for the church and for your listeners and for myself and for Peter and, and for everyone to take forward. It's just kind of like that. If everyone here is looking to get to the truth, um, then we can have a great conversation. And we actually believe as Christians mm. that we are onto the truth in Jesus and in God, you know, that sort of way. So that, that's the kind of angle you take, that you actually believe you have the truth. You don't, you don't argue for the sake of arguing to get them on your side. You actually argue because you believe you have the truth and the truth that can set you free to, to quote the scripture directly, exactly. you know, that sort of way. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think how you approach an argument or, or sorry, approach a discussion is actually a huge part of it. And I think that's why, I really do think that's why the first Peter says that. You know, revere, revere Christ as Lord in your heart. You know, before it says, give a reason to vents for your faith. You know, that sort of way. I don't know what you think about that, yeah. Peter.
1: Well, it's... I think it's also important to, <laughs> yeah. to keep in mind, sorry, Peter, just important just something to jump on the back of what says before I pass it over to Danny for our next question. Hmm. Is he used the, the verse that says, the truth will set you free. That's important to sometimes self-analyze ourselves as Christians and say, wow, is this argument or this discussion or this topic actually a sense of bondage and a feeling of anxiety within ourselves? Because if the truth actually sets us free, then there shouldn't be this sense of, I need to prove myself. I need to fight God's corner because he said that he would build his church. So it's not our responsibility to win every argument or discussion or debate. And I think that's a very important thing to keep in mind, especially when you're using that verse that says the truth will set you free. There is no bondage in these discussions. They need to be healthy and calculated and come from a place of love. And as Peter said, a place of grace.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I just, uh, something that comes to mind while you say that uh, there's a, there's a Christian kind of debate or a Christian scientist called John Lennox and he's worth listening to, but he always says this, you know, we as Christians believe God, the Christian God is the God of everything. He's the God of the bits we do understand and the bits we don't understand yet. You know, that sort of way. And what he's saying there is we don't need to fear scientific discoveries. You know, that sort of way. So that's why I I was probably spelling that out earlier. Like there is Old Testament and New Testament scholars still diving into this and there's scientists still trying to make sense of this world. But we don't need to fear that because if it is truly the truth, if we're all seeking the truth, we have to have the confidence. I believe we have to have the confidence that christianity will stand on its own two feet you know if we are yeah. believing in the god of the universe like ultimately because that's what we're believing in you know we, we need to be pragmatic here as well that's yeah. like we need to be able to give a reason defense but what i'm saying is we don't need to carry this bondage of fear with us you know or or something's mm. gonna he's gonna say something that'll throw me throw my whole life off course
1: or make my religion meaningless you know that sort of way mm. yeah yeah. And Danny, obviously we're, we'll move on into that, this topic. Danny, is there any thoughts that you have at the minute about what's being discussed or any other questions that maybe some of our listeners would have for Peter and Jack?
3: I remember listening to this other podcast about, um, how this is a scientist called Brian Cox. A lot of people know about him. And like, one of the questions was, do you think that there is something in our body as the Bible says, there's a lot about spirits and an afterlife and how we when we die, we either go to heaven or we go to hell. But from a scientific st- standpoint, do you see a spirit in a body at all? Um,
2: well let's let's simplify the question a little bit so that we can address it scientifically, or at least address it using reason. So another, another way to ask some ask a similar kind of question that might make more sense to a, material, a materialist, an atheistic materialist is, is there such a thing as the immaterial world? Is everything describable purely by physical laws? Is everything just physical stuff? Or is there stuff out there that is essentially not physical like spirit or, or mind and soul would be other examples? Uh, so that, that, if you think about it that way, then it's much easier, I guess, to, to get to a conclusion because I think logically it turns out that you, you can't actually even do science without assuming that there exists things that are essentially indescribable by science. So there has to be things that are immaterial, not material, not physical stuff. So to give you an example. Okay, so reason itself and the laws of logic. Okay, all science is based on the ability to do re- to reason and, and the laws of logic, right? So C.S. Lewis once said, unless human reasoning is valid, no science is true. Unless human reasoning is valid, no science is true. In other words, you can't do science without uh, accepting that the laws of logic are true and without accepting that uh, human reason is valid and objective. Now, you have to ask yourself, are they material things? Do those things exist in space-time? And are they describable by the laws of physics? Well, the answer is, of course, no, because you can't even do physics. You can't even comprehend the laws of physics without accepting that the laws of logic are valid and objectively true. In other words, that's the starting point for doing science. Like imagine, imagine trying to argue from science that, um, that science works. Imagine how circular that argument would be. You would be trying to use science to prove that science works. Right? That's logically circular. Okay? In, in other words, you have to start with the assumption that science works, that it's based axiomatically on laws of logic and reason, and then proceed from there. So in other words, you can't even do science without assuming and believing that the immaterial world exists, that there exist things that are essentially not physical. And um, so this, this is a, a really interesting uh, thesis that was, uh, there's a really nice book by uh, an, apologetic, an apologist called uh, Frank Turek. So he calls, he calls this idea stealing from God. In other words, it, every, every argument that the atheists the materialist or the reductionist constructs relies on stealing some immaterial concept from God, whether it be the laws of logic, whether it be reason, whether it be free will. You have to steal all of those things from an immaterial God in order to construct your mater- your argument that all there is is the material world. So the essential basis of any claim that that all there is is the material relies itself on uh, an argument that uses laws of logic, which are immaterial. So there's an essential Mm -hmm. contradiction in those arguments. So it's, I think it's really, really easy to are really straightforward to deduce that there can't just be the physical. In fact, in deducing that there can't just be the physical, I've had to rely on things that are essentially not physical. And any argument to the contrary, any argument to the contrary of my position would also have to use the same laws of logic which are essentially non-physical and would be self-contradictory. So once once you accept that the the world isn't entirely physical, it's it's not it's not a huge leap then to get to things like the spiritual. Because Mm. what do we mean by spiritual? By spiritual, we just mean non-physical, things that aren't describable by the physical world, right? That's essentially that's essentially what we mean. So, so, in that sense, the very, like we talked about earlier, the Big Bang and, and how that points to a first cause. And because the Big Bang was the beginning of the physical, the first cause has to be non physical. In other words, the first cause has to be spiritual. So, these, these, there is positive scientific evidence that there can't just be the physical. And so, there has to be things like the spiritual. And um, so, so, that would be. A pretty solid argument, I think. Um, there's and al- there's also other arguments that that I'm less expert in on the fact that the brain is different from the mind. For example, there's lots of really interesting scientific evidence that suggests that the brain, the, the physical brain, is in the molecules that make up your brain, is not the same thing as your mind. That in fact these are different entities. Um. Wow. But yeah, but but I, I you know I won't get into that because my argument will be too long then. But I I think. The, I think I think the other argument is, is really uh, persuasive because it doesn't actually rely on any esoteric knowledge about science. It just relies on pure reason. And that's the strongest kind of argument because you don't have to be an expert in any field to argue from direct reason. Uh, so those arguments are very persuasive.
3: Because I'd say like, because when I was listening to his, he, he was talking about um, how you cannot measure a spirit because... Okay, so some things are objective truths. Say um, the distance from here to town is nine kilometers or so. But mm-hmm. you use mathematical information to find that out, that it's true. It's not my opinion. But, you know, the brain is all made out of neurons and chemicals. So, and that shows the kind of person that you portray, depending on your background. So say if I was brought up in a, a rough area or so, my, mm-hmm. my characteristics display on my environment depending on who my friends are, my parents, these all uh, attribute to my personality. So does that mean um, my personality, so God gave me this personality or in that sense the world itself has given me this personality?
2: Both. The answer is both. I mean your, your personality is a very complex thing, right? It's made up of many, 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 many things. It's made up of um, your, uh, I guess, your inherent traits, but it's also made up of your environment and all of, all of these acquired traits that you uh, have acquired through life, through your background, through your upbringing. Um, but, but to argue that... To argue that you are just physical and that all you are is molecules pinging around. So let's, let's try, first of all, to to make that kind of claim, it suffers, it suffers the same self-contradiction as what I previously claimed. So those, those kinds of claims rely on our ability to do science, but our ability to do science relies on laws of logic and our ability to reason and laws of logic and reason are essentially non-physical. In other words, you assume that all you are is physical but in order to make that assumption you have to do do science which is based on the non-physical all right so there's an essential self-contradiction in there mm-hmm. another way to say it is let's say an- another similar kind of self-contradiction is if you are made up only of molecules so your personality is if we ha- if we were better at science and we knew how to um analyze every neuron, every cell, every chemical reaction in your body, we would, able to be, we would be able to predict anything that you would ever do in your life because it would be entirely determined by the physical laws. Okay? In other words, you wouldn't have any free will. If all you are is molecules that obey the laws of nature, then there's no such thing as free will. Okay? But if there's no such thing as free will, then you didn't have any free will in arriving at the conclusion that there's no such thing as free will. So why should we <laughs> believe there's no such thing as free will? It's essentially self-contradictory.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: If there's no such thing as free will, then science itself is just an arbitrary thing that we haven't had a choice in inventing and should, why should we trust it anyway? If there's no such thing as free will, how we perceive the laws of nature is not by any free will choice. And and what about the people who arrive at the opposite conclusion that there is such a thing as free will? They also didn't have free will in arriving that there's such a thing as free will. So who's right? In other words, once you start making these, these kinds of claims, you, you run into logical problems very, very, very fast. So here's the things that you just have to accept in order to make progress in any kind of knowledge. You have to accept that absolute truth exists. Okay? Because, well, if you don't, then you're trying to argue that it's absolutely true, that there's no such thing as absolute truth. It's essential, logical self, it's essential self-defeating statement. You have to, so you have to accept that there's objective truth. You have to accept that the laws of logic are valid and that they're objectively true. Well, because any argument to the contrary, would be trying to use those laws of logic. So again, it would be self-defeating to argue otherwise. You have to accept that free will exists. Again, if you try to assume the contrary, you had no free will in arriving at that, that conclusion. So again, it's another example of a self-defeating statement. In other words, it's very, very, very hard to logically hold on to many of these ideas that form the bedrock of the material atheists' worldview. In other words, they're basically, you know, they're trying to use a colander as a boat, or you know, they have their Feet firmly planted in midair, whatever way you want to say it, yeah. these things suffer some really bad logical contradictions.
1: Yeah, do you have any thoughts on that, Jack?
0: Well, I mean, I think Peter, in the back end of that, pointed to something really kind of funny, but important as well, because on the topic of free will and and God, we back to that whole um, God and what, how God maybe designed us and our mind, you know, because if ultimately we, if we're just a collection of atoms pinging off in certain directions, you know, if from an atheistic standpoint, you know, we evolve from chance, uh, time plus matter plus chance equals humans. Yeah. Right? That's where we are now. So if we take that assumption into our thoughts and how our brain functions, well, that's just even the thoughts and the discussion we're having right now is just premeditated um chemical interactions going off. So, so I think that's what, the exceptional nature of humans and the human mind and things come up again, you know, this is where this thing comes up again. Why can I think about my own existence? You know, why can I, um, why can I even begin to ponder on this myself? You know, if this was a purely, you know, if it, it makes more sense from a Christian standpoint, you know, that the same God who created the universe created our minds and that we can do science and discover things and ask these questions as opposed to, you know, if we just came from chance plus time plus matter, then it doesn't make sense that we would be thinking about these types of questions to begin with, you know, and, and, yeah. and there is philosophers and scientists have uh, one philosopher in particular. And I think Peter met, alluded to this as well uh, already. Alvin Plantinga, he, he, he spoke to this directly. He was like, well, if the atheists are saying we just came out of if our brains came out of like time plus matter plus chance, why should we trust it? to make uh, the sort of statements like, well, God can't be real or, you know, or, or God is real. But if you flip that from a theistic or a Christian uh, uh, point of view, it it would make lots of sense because it's a God inspired mind, you know, that sort of way it it had, it had its origins from someone who spoke it into being with a purpose as opposed to, uh, unpurposed chance you know that sort of way so i i mean i think it's
2: worse than that it's even worse than that yeah Jack, because if you're, if you're if you're trying to make so if you're i know i'm i'm taking a particular strong stance against the material atheists but uh but if, if you're in that category then there's no such thing as objective truth okay mm-hmm. so yes yes it's just more like, okay but then you don't hold, they don't hold their own claims to that same standard, right? There's no such thing as objective truth. So then there's no meaning to the statement, God doesn't exist.
1: So yeah, it's all, it's why, all subjective, why do they
2: yeah. debate when debate itself is pointless if there's no such thing as objective truth? What, what, yeah. Like yeah. The, the whole premise of debate is there is objective truth and we're trying to get at it. Mm. But if the objective truth exists, then there has to be a standard for that objective truth. So who was the reference point for that objective truth? Well, that's what the Christians call God. Mm. Yeah,
0: and you, would, yeah. you you'd almost say Christianity is more um, consistent then, in a sense, because I think this is one of the things that troubled me with being an atheist or agnostic or you know a doubter before I became a Christian. That was one of the big problems that I had with atheism was the conclusion that uh, life is ultimately meaningless. You know, it's all. We're all just, as Peter said, foot planted in midair, you know, that sort of way when everything about our, our experience here on earth, uh, would steer us in a different direction. We, you know, um, I know, I know Danny, you brought up about your brain and your upbringing and stuff like that, but even the sense of belonging, the search for meaning, man's search for meaning, um, swallowing the atheist pill of life is totally, totally meaningless. And that would encompass like, you know, music, art, relationships, um, everything got to do with human life is ultimately meaningless, you know, and we're just, we're just approaching the grave and we're just counting our, counting our time until we hit the grave. Like, so (laughs) in in some sense, I couldn't accept that. You know what I mean? Because everything about my experience here on earth taught me otherwise. And then I suppose I, from there, then I built these kind of more rational, uh, rationally based arguments like we're talking about here. And then it began to make much more sense, you know? And I suppose, I suppose that's, why Christianity almost does it for me in a sense because it it would give what I would call a more cohesive view of the world you know that sort of way it's it just make I think it's I think
1: it's a great point you you kind of threw out there Jack when you were talking about people who would say that life is meaningless I think even if you look at what's going on in the world right now obviously the date right now for people who might be listening to this in maybe even a year's time is the 30th of April 2020 (laughs) we're in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic all over the world And the people who thought life was so meaningless are starting to realize the meaning that was in the things we might have taken for granted for so long and the things that maybe we don't have right now, but that benefit and contribute to who we are as human beings are so intricately twined to who we are as people. And obviously this is such a a large topic we're trying to discuss and we won't even today probably be able to touch on all of the topics that people have sent in questions. We're definitely going to have to do another episode. That's 100%. And I'm looking forward to that. Maybe even get someone else from a philosophical background to hop on with us as well. But um, I want to throw a question out to both of you. And it comes in two parts. What would you say, guys, to Christians, followers of Jesus, people who believe that Jesus is the one who loves them most and who has saved their souls? What would you say to Christians who doubt and feel like it's wrong to doubt? and find anxiety in questioning. They find it to be wrong, or maybe they've been told it's wrong. And then part two is, what would you say to a person who's clicked on this podcast who is an atheist and is like, why should I even consider Jesus? Why should I even consider faith? Um, Is it all meaningless? What would you say, kind of in those two parts to those people? And it's obviously quite a big question, so take whatever you want.
0: Well, I think to jump in on the first one straight away, if you're a Christian listening to this, I think I wouldn't be batting away your doubts and condemning yourself for having a doubt because I was just even reading before we came on here. Like there's a couple of stories of Jesus dealing directly with doubt. You know, there's, there's a passage in Luke or Matthew, you know, uh, let's say in the gospels, uh, where I think a, a young boy is having paralytic fits or, you know, he's possessed by a demon or whatever. And the guy, The guy asks Jesus, oh, can you heal him? And Jesus is like, what do you mean, can I heal him? I'm paraphrasing here. Um, Do you not believe in me? And the guy basically says, oh, I do believe. Help me believe, uh, but help my unbelief. So he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. So that's one example. And then the other example that comes straight into my head is Thomas, doubting Thomas. So, And I love this story in the Bible um, where Thomas, one of the disciples, Jesus, uh, after Jesus rose from the dead, he wouldn't believe the testimony of his fellow disciples that Jesus had indeed risen for the dead. Cause he, he thought it was like a crazy claim. And he said, unless I see it for myself and Jesus out of that place, actually personally appeared to Thomas and says, touch the, you know, touch the wounds in my hands and, uh, and see that I'm real. And it was from that place. Then Thomas was utterly convinced, you know, I, and, I, and it really encouraged me as a Christian as well. you know that sort of way? Because I've had doubts, yeah. many of them in, in my journey, to be honest. Um, but reading this kind of thing, and I'm like, wow, that was the exact thing that Thomas needed. You know, he asked Jesus, Lord, help me, help me believe in you. And actually, it's funny, because then Thomas was the disciple that brought Christianity to India. You know, he was the first guy to go to India then. So that just shows you the lengths to which um, he was willing to go, you know, that sort of way. So I would say, I, we believe in a personal God, first of all, you know, and you can, mm. I think I, I honestly believe you can ask God and say, Lord, I'm really struggling with this. Um, you know, to speak more spiritually, um, on the podcast here as well, to say that side of things is really important too. You know, there's a personal God you can reach out to him and say, Lord, help me with my own belief. Um, and then to keep it short for the second answer, I would say, look, if you're an atheist and you're listening to this, I think you're, in, you're in a good place because I mean, I ultimately believe that life with Jesus is better than life without it. And that's the yeah. honest truth. Having been on both sides of the coin, I think it really is a cohesive worldview. Um, I think if you look at it for yourself, you can throw off any stereotypes you might've heard uh, in your upbringings or in your different environments and you have your own mind and start looking at what's out there. I would encourage you to read the gospels. I'd encourage you to listen to some apologetics things. If you have specific doubts There's people who've specifically addressed these things, you know, that sort of way. Mm. And again, I'd encourage you just in faith, you know, that sort of way. If you you feel like life isn't meaningless, well, then that's a good place to start because I I believe like, yeah, there's hope and there's a future for you in Jesus, honestly, because I think that's an important thing to say. And I'll, I'll hand over to Peter now. Like, I think the reason myself and Peter and Danny and yourself are on here doing this podcast even we're not doing it for our own benefit or like, you know, I'm not doing, doing the Christian life for the sake of doing it. I really have had personally experienced, or I have personally experienced a transformation in my life. You know, there is meaning to it. You know, I I believe it does infuse my life with meaning as well as answer the more intellectual questions. So I wouldn't be on here like saying, Oh, go on, just convert to Christianity for the sake of it. You know, there's real, there's real important issues. You know, there's real like, it's making sense of life here on earth, you know? So I'd really just encourage you to, to dig in and just keep asking and just, you know, just give it a go. Ask God, pr- prove yourself to me, Lord, or give me a sense of who you are, bring the right people into my life, you know? So I'll leave it there, but there's low as you could say. That's
1: great, Jack. Yeah. those was uh,
2: really good answers. I think. Um, but yeah. I, I would also encourage people that it's, okay to doubt aspects of the Christian faith I'd say it's a fairly common experience um, I, mean, I think I think people can get into a, a scary place where they feel like they're the only person having these doubts but in fact I mean Jack already gave two examples right from the scriptures I mean it's such a common experience I'd say in my own I think one of, one of the things that has always comforted me and I've always found it like overwhelmingly strong evidence in, a, in any time of doubt is, you know, forgetting about all of the scientific stuff, you know, which, which you know, as a trained scientist, you know, I, I hold that stuff very clearly in my head. So I, I think I'm maybe a little less susceptible to those kinds of doubts from a logical perspective. But even sometimes in your personal sense, you, you still do doubt. One of the things I've always held onto is is if you consider all of the prophecies in the Old Testament, now, historically, we know these books were written when they were written. And if you think of the kinds of things that they predicted, so you're talking about the rise and fall of every major empire that has ever shaped the world, the rise Mm -hmm. and fall of the Egyptian empire, the rise and fall of the Babylonian empire, the rise and fall of the Persian empire, the rise and fall of the Assyrian empire, the rise and fall of the Greek empire and the rise and fall of the Roman empire, the ultimate, um, like a ransacking and destruction of Israel and then the calling back of the Jews after a great period of suffering from all over the earth. Every one of those things are predicted in the old Testament by the prophets. Yeah. Has anybody else predicted the rise and fall of every major empire that the world's ever known? How could that be possible? And, and the, the reason I, the reason I share that story is because I, I was given an apologetics talk one, one, one time it was actually down at a youth camp. And there was a, a young girl who's very, very intelligent and loved science. And she came, she came up to me afterwards uh, with a tear in her eye saying that she's been really struggling with doubts. And she said to me, how do you know everything that you said is real? And so we took 10 minutes with her to go through all of the major prophecies of the old Testament, starting from the rise and fall of every empire, like I mentioned, and then to the life of Jesus, all of the prophecies about, about Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, if you think about, if you think about what science is, the most powerful scientific theories are predictive in nature. In other words, they write down laws or equations that they retrospectively show uh, are verified by their observations or by some experiment. They're the most powerful examples of science, science that is predictive in nature. And here you have a book of several thousand pages that has, I don't know, like, I don't know how many prophecies, you know, maybe close to a thousand specific prophecies about major world events, all of which came to pass. How do you explain that? Mm. I mean, that, that's almost a form of science. Because you have you have a pre, you have a prediction that you can verify. That's scientific mm-hmm. in, in essence. And uh, well, she started to well up and she started to tear up and uh, and uh, yeah. I, I heard later from friends of hers that it was really helpful. So mm. so doubts are good, but there are people with good answers. Mm. You know, God has good answers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you go to Him first, but don't be afraid of those doubts. I would say. I mean, you, usually those doubts. Will ultimately serve to strengthen your faith uh, because when you when you walk through a doubt like that uh, particularly if you walk through it relationally with god what you have at the end of it is not a dogma what you have at the end of it is something that has been refined by fire mm-hmm. something that will last something that is eternal and mm. um, so so you'll ultimately be in a much better place uh, then, just quickly onto your second question uh, What would I say to an atheist? I guess I would say that I have found Christianity to be the most satisfactory answer uh, to the four big questions in life. And the four big questions in life are one, origin, two, purpose, three, morality, and four, destiny. Mm. Origin, purpose, morality, and destiny. Now, every worldview has to satisfactorily answer those four questions individually, but also coherently. Has to answer all four of them coherently.
1: Mm.
2: So there's no use in answering two of them individually Mm. satisfactorily, but your answer to both of those two being contradictory. So you have to answer all four satisfactorily and coherently. And, and I've genuinely found Christianity to be the only worldview, the only perspective that answers all four of those things satisfactorily. And, and the amazing thing is the answer to all four of those things is found in the personhood of Jesus who existed historically. And, you know, th- that is where I would start. You know, mm, if you're an atheist yeah. and you're kind of asking some questions and you're seeking, don't go and read some, yeah, uh, scientific or even logical accounts. Pick up the gospel. Just yeah. start with the gospel. Forget about everything else. Pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and read about the narrative of Jesus, and you'll find all four of those questions answered in the personhood of Jesus Christ. And in particular, what you'll find is Jesus died for you, and that is the mm. most important fact in the history of the universe. It is. It is the thing that has changed. The very world as we know it, you think about how life has changed in the last two thousand years because Jesus died for you. It yeah. transformed yeah, civilization. Phenomenal. And that, that is the single most transformative fact that has ever happened in the world. Um, so that's where I would start. Start with the Gospels and start with the personhood of Jesus.
0: Yeah. And I love the point you made there, Peter, about like the the miraculous side of things in terms of the prophecy and in terms of what Jesus did uh, and has done and continues to do. But 2000 years ago, the historical figure, Jesus like that is, that is of all things gave me so much confidence. And, and, and it's the reason we have such confidence as Christians. Like that is an exceptional event. You know, mm. that sort of way that is God coming into mankind, giving his life for us, yeah. both as a historical figure and giving his life on the cross. Like, and, and the resurrection, we still haven't found his body. You know, this is, and this is why Christianity really got going, you know, because the disciples had seen this happening and they were willing to die a martyr's death for it. So they were willing to die for this truth. And I was only saying to someone, I think last night uh, on a, on a small group study call and, and, I, and I had watched the program Narcos lately, you know, Narcos, this, and yeah. there's always this point in the series in Narcos and it's like. When, when the top dogs in Pablo Escobar's cartel get brought in front of the police and there's extradition to America on the plate or there's uh, execution, they will forsake their secrets. They will give up their leader, that kind of thing. Mm. And it just, it just struck me. The disciples, even when faced with the most horrific of deaths, did not say that, oh no, it was all a big joke. Oh no, it was all just a hoax, the whole thing. 11 out of 12 of them died that kind of a death you know and and didn't give that up so i think peter's right like it's that is insane you know what i mean that's it's it's absolutely gobsmacking like that they wouldn't give up yeah. something which tells me it was worth dying for and it's proven to be the case you know by testimony and you know it's it's it's
2: fascinating that's the funny thing is, is people tend to ignore the evidence of personal testimony which is a weird thing to ignore because of mm. if, if there was i don't know you know, half a billion people who all claimed that something was true and it affected them personally. I mean, most people would have absolutely no reservations about believing such a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so every, every person who has a personal testimony that they have interacted with, with Jesus in a meaningful way, in a way that has transformed their very life, is evidence that he exists. Like we're e- yeah. there's either a half a billion people in the world mm. who are c- completely mad or there's a half a billion people in the world who've genuinely
0: yeah. been
2: transformed by this person. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, you have to take people's pers- personal testimony seriously.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, otherwise, you know, why should you take history itself seriously? I mean, that's people's personal testimony of what happened.
0: Yeah, um, exactly. But, and it, And it speaks to our, like like going back to the whole question of existence and why are we here? Like that's why personal testimony matters here. Because if we're saying that Jesus has brought in the concepts of forgiveness and reconciliation and has genuinely transformed your life, well, that's, that's worth talking about. And that is an evidence because as Peter said, it has changed the, the path of mankind. You know what I mean? That's why the calendar is set to to Jesus's you know, ministry time, you know, 2000, we're in the two thousands, like the, that is just one of the very many indicators of how impactful this one man's life was on humanity. You know, that this, and that's where we take courage from because this is what, this is the faith we proclaim and we can see it has a very uh, measurable impact on humanity as well as our own personal testimony, which I, which I think is amazing to be honest yeah. with you.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think it's, it's amazing to think that, you know, as we come to a close Jesus isn't someone who wants us to stay the way we are. It's a transformative gospel. It's a transformative savior who we find in Jesus. And even for those who are wondering why we've even hopped on this topic, kind of today's topic was based on Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 15. And for those who don't know what Proverbs is, it's a book of wisdom. I really encourage people to listen to it because I think so often people might think that the Bible is an ignorant book that's filled with ignorance and dogma, when it's really not, there's a whole book that's dedicated to pursuing wisdom. And it says this in verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. And that means we're not meant to stay where we are and wallow in doubt and wallow in our questions. We're meant to pursue knowledge, pursue growing in our minds, but also growing in our hearts. And it's funny that it even speaks of the heart in this verse, the heart of the discerning. It comes from the heart and there's questions that are heart issues that we all know on this podcast, we won't be able to answer. We'd be lying to you if we said that we would not an- the answer to every question in the world, but we really do believe that we have the one who has the answers to all questions. And if we seek it out, if the ears of the wise seek it out, he will answer those questions and maybe not within our timing and maybe not when we exactly want it. But I really do believe that God is someone who honors those who seek after him and seek after knowledge. And uh, we want to just encourage you that maybe this podcast was something that you found useful and you found beneficial to your life. We also have other utilities and resources we'd love to send you. We have a good news guide for maybe those of you who are under and first and foremost about Jesus. It's a 14-day PDF that we can send you if you email youth at Mark's.ie or on our Instagram at Youth. We also have the newer film series, which we'd love to send you, which is a film series which pursues doubt and pursues why should we even believe in Jesus in the first place. And uh, Danny, obviously... You're a young person yourself. What would you say, Danny, to those young people right now who, first of all, might not have encountered Jesus and also want to find that balance between science and faith? And what would you say to maybe a 15-, 16-year-old, 17-year-old like yourself who has those kind of questions that you've come across in your own life?
3: I mean, like, when you're at this stage, you're all about learning. It's literally learning about everything that's coming at you. So if you Mm. do have doubts... you can't ignore it it's i don't just i wouldn't recommend ignoring any doubts whatsoever but i would Mm. strongly recommend challenging these doubts to figure out where it came from and what answers you can make out of it because having doubts with no no answers is just like it's like a vase full of water that's overflowing but not having a lid putting it on putting on top of it it just Mm. it's just going to keep going and going and then when people ask you about the same questions, you wouldn't have an answer for it. So that's what I would say. Just explore your mind, learn new things and keep asking questions because questions, there's a saying, if you ask one question and get an answer, there will be a hundred more questions coming after that. So I would say Mm. keep asking more questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think, you know, We want to pursue knowledge. We want to pursue Jesus. And as Jack said earlier on, we very simply believe that life is better with Jesus than it ever would be or could be without him. And I know a lot of questions come with a a slogan like that or a saying like that, but we'd love if you did reach out to us. I want to thank our guests. I want to first of all, thank our co-host, the one and only Danny Ballet. I'd like to thank Peter Taylor and Jack Lawless for joining us on this week's podcast of The Good News Guide. This definitely won't be the last time they're featured on The Good News Guide because there's so many other topics we would love to explore and love to talk about. And we definitely will as the weeks go on. But I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, wherever you are, no matter who you are, we believe that there's good news for everyone everywhere. And we hope as you head into this week that this podcast was useful and we'd love to connect with you. Once again, email us, youth at stmarx.ie or send us a DM on Instagram at Saint City Youth. And we don't have all the answers, but we would love to connect with you and point you to the one who does. So we hope you have a great week. And until next time, take care. God bless.